Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 1. And we want to pick up our study in verse 5. Now, last week we gave a strong introduction. And we looked at uh, Jesus being the Son of God, the Savior of the world. That He is uh, the supremacy of God. That He is God. And so this morning we're going to see that He is greater than the angelic being. And so it's important to see this. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background on angels. The word angel is angelos uh, in the Greek. And the basic meaning is they're messengers. Angels are created beings of God for the purpose of use in spiritual needs. In Scripture, they are often used as messengers. And they're often used as protectors. Uh, Here's a psalm. Psalm 103, verse 20. They excel in strength. And so God has given them strength. In Psalm 104, verse 4, angels are his ministers as a flame of fire. We know that in Matthew chapter 1, that Gabriel uh, brought a message to Joseph concerning Mary and the baby Jesus that was to be born. And then the angel spoke directly to to Mary, that is, that she would have a child. In Matthew chapter 2, Gabriel warns uh, Joseph to flee with Mary and the baby Jesus to Egypt. And so these ministering angels, sometimes to protect, but sometimes also to bring forth messages. Now in the book of Jude in chapter or verse 9, it's only one chapter, it tells us that Michael, the archangel, fought over the body of Moses with Satan. And Michael said to Lucifer, the Lord rebuke you. And so the importance of the combatants of the angels and also the angels as messengers. Now, we know in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, after Jesus was tempted by Satan three times, 40 days, 40 nights, that uh, he was fasting. Then an angel came and ministered to him. He came to serve him. And so that position of ministering. Now, last week, we studied that God declared his son, Jesus Christ, always was, and that he had his hand in creation. Jesus has always been the supreme revelation of God. Now this week, in Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to conclude. Jesus is superior to the angels. Now, uh, I believe this morning most of us don't have a problem with that. But there are those that struggle with this position. In fact, there are those that worship angels. There are those that put an emphasis upon angels. But yet they're here to minister to God. And they're here to minister to us. And so it's important that we see this now. It's Jesus that we worship, not angels. It's Jesus that we worship, not man. And it's Jesus that we worship. We don't worship idols or statues of Jesus or of Mary. Now, I want you to write down this verse. In John chapter 4, verse 23, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must go through the cross. Now, last week in John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, I want you to see this. I'm going to read it to you. Philip comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient to us. And in verse 9, Jesus said to Philip, He who has seen me has seen the Father, So how can you say, show us the Father? What was Jesus declaring to Philip? He was declaring equality with the Father. 
He was declaring deity with the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so it's important that we see this. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world. And last week we saw Jesus right there in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there are those that only put Jesus, you know, at, at his birth. And that's his uh, first coming. That's the first advent. But Jesus always was, church. Now, as we get into Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to begin here in verse 5. And the caption in my Bible says, The Son exalted above angels. A title of our teaching this morning, Jesus is superior to the angels. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background why I say there are those that worship angels. If you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses' doctrine, they teach that Jesus is Michael the archangel. Now, you have to pin them and you have to ask them, this is your doctrine. And if they're true Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to admit it to you. Now, when the Mormons come to your door, the Mormons teach that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. And so we have such doctrinal error. My Bible says, your Bible says, that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And we've shared this many times. You can speak all about God you want. You say, I believe in God. I believe in God. But then declare to them that Jesus is God. And in some circles, those are fighting words. You see, they make Jesus a good man, a good humanitarian, a good teacher, a good prophet. When he fed the 5,000, somebody to have around when you have to feed a lot of people. But my Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's what the writer is going to bring forth here now. That he is superior to the angels. He's not Michael the archangel. And he's not Lucifer's brother. And so we begin here. Look at verse 5. And what we're going to do here, I'm going to give you the Psalms, a lot of quotation here from the Old Testament. And remember, many times we said the Old Testament is pointing to the cross. And so in verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say? And here's the quotation right out of Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, remember, we shared this already. Angels are created beings of God for his service. Angels are not sons of God as Jesus is the son of God. Now, in Psalm uh, 2, verse 7, this is King David as he writes. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is a prophetic word. Now, Paul brings this back in preaching in Antioch. There in Acts chapter 13, verse 33, and he quotes the same verse. Psalm 2, verse 7. A prophetic word to the Jews. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it say that Jesus is an angel. Now, here's a prophecy that has already come to pass. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, the prophecy that King David said concerning Jesus Christ the Messiah. Beautiful Scripture. Now we're going to develop some more. Look at verse 6 now. Go back to our text. But when he again brings the firstborn uh, into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Let all the angels of God worship him. Now there's, this is a direct quotation 
And I want you to write it down in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. But you have to understand something. This is quoted from the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint was a translation of the Hebrew into the Greek. It was done after the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And so Greek became uh, greater than Hebrew. And so 70 scholars, Hebrew scholars, went in and developed this Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, you have in Deuteronomy 32, verse 43, let all the angels of God worship him. The King James now, instead of firstborn, it says first begotten. Which means, now listen, first in honor and position, not first in order and not first in birth. Because Jesus always was. Again, we go back to Genesis 1-1 and he was there. Now the word begotten comes again in John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus always number one in order. And number one in position, not number one, uh, excuse me, he's always number one in honor and number one in position, not first in order or first in birth. We read, we read last week that Jesus was there at Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was there in creation. In fact, you go off the page in Genesis 1-1 to your left, Jesus was there. Beautiful passage of scripture. Now notice verse 6 again. Let all the angels of God worship him. They worship Jesus. Now in Revelation chapter 5, this is the picture in heaven. Jesus takes the scroll, the title deed of earth, the judgments that are coming. The four living creatures, these are the seraphims. These are angelic beings with six wings and the 24 elders, and the angels, and then the church, I believe, is there that has been raptured. They all worship the lamb that was slain. They sing a song, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Nowhere are we to worship angels. So it's important to see this now. Now look at verse 7 as we continue. And of the angels, he says, and here's a direct quote of Psalm 104, verse 4. Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? And here's that position. They're servants. They're ministering servants. Angels are servants of the Lord. They are ministering spirits who serve the Lord. And they care and they protect God's children, the church, the body of Christ. Now we shared last week. Concerning guardian angels, there are those that say, we have, each one of us, a guardian angel. There's no in scripture that declares that. And I, I, I like that because we don't just have one guardian angel. I think God dispenses more angels to us. In fact, some of you probably need more than just one or two. Some of you, I know that you need at least six or seven or eight. I know some of the things that I've been into. Thank you, Lord, that I don't just have one guardian angel. But he dispenses angels, and, and they're there for our purpose. Again, in verse 7, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background about Lucifer. He's a created being. He's an angelic being, and he falls from grace. He has a free will to choose, 
And he takes a third of the fallen angels with him. And this is the demonic realm. If you study Ezekiel chapter 28, Lucifer was a created being, an angelic servant of the Lord. He was in charge of the music in heaven. But then you go to uh, Isaiah chapter 14, and we find the five I wills of Lucifer. He wanted God's throne, and God said no, and he was kicked out of heaven. And then you go to Revelation chapter 12, uh, the dragon, which is Satan, Lucifer, he took his tail and he swooped a third of the angels with him. And these now become the satanic servants or the demons. Now, listen, Jesus left his position in heaven for a time. We know that he was on this earth for 33 and a half years, but he always was God. And when he came to earth, he puts on flesh and he became the God man or the second Adam. That's called his incarnation. Study the gospel of John chapter one. It is so clear. And so again, the angels church, he says, who make his angels spirits and his ministers as flames of fire, all the protection. I, I was looking at this study, and I was going back in the, the years that we've been here, 27 years. You know how many times we travel back and forth to Southern California? And the road is treacherous from here all the way to Southern California, the I-10. We have seen everything. We have bypass accidents. You know, there's times I, I, I sense the Lord just say, move over. I go to the other lane, and cars just go by us. We've had dust storms where there was a 25-car pileup, and God just spares us. He sends his angels a protection. When that sandstorm hit a couple years back, you know, I'm going on the freeway. I mean, I'm going at least 70 miles an hour, and this big rig gets in front of us, and he starts doing this number. He just starts going from lane to lane. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Now, I'm accustomed to, you know, the CHP, they'll do that but not a truck. And the first thing I thought, I told Mary, the guy's drunk. He's going to kill somebody, so I back off. Well, he had already caught it on his, you know, CB, and, you know, he was trying to stop the traffic. We were four cars from the pileup. It was incredible. And so God sends his ministering angels, and we have to understand that, church. Now, Lucifer was an angelic being, a created being. He had a position. There are those that believe Michael the archangel, Gabriel the archangel. One is a messenger. One is a combatant. And many believe that Lucifer was the third archangel. And that makes sense. It's not dogmatic. But you have the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. But it's interesting. In Ezekiel 28, he's in charge of the music. Look at the influence that music has today. We have good music, then we have bad music. Those of us that grew up in the 60s, you hear a, a song, it takes you right back. All of a sudden, you got big hair again, you got bell bottoms on. We think we're there. Music has an effect on us. Notice as he continues, look at verse 8 now. But to the Son, notice this, to Jesus Christ, he says, Your throne, O God. He calls him God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. Now, this quote here, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, is a direct quote from Psalm 45, verse 6. But notice verse 8 here. Equality with his father. 
deity with his father. Notice that God the Father, here in verse 8, calls Jesus God. He calls him God. And this word forever and ever, it it speaks of a time span. And what is forever and ever? It speaks of past, present, and future. Jesus always was and still is God. And again, these are fighting words in some sections. Some people just can't handle it. I went to pray over here, I told you. And I I was asked to pray for, you know, the, what was it, the county officials? And they always invite a pastor. But they specifically asked me not to pray in Jesus' name. First thing I asked them, well, why'd you ask me to come? But you see, they want you to pray, amen, or they want you to pray in God. Well, I believe that Jesus is God, and so they can't handle it. Now, put on your thinking cap. Here in verse 8, the Father is calling his Son God. Who called Jesus God? If you're taking notes in John chapter 20, verse 28, we have the story of Doubting Thomas. And Doubting Thomas, after eight days, he called Jesus God. He didn't believe that he was risen from the dead. Thomas called Jesus God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, John the beloved apostle called Jesus God. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, Paul the apostle called Jesus God. Jesus I want you to write this down. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? It's a loaded question. Because there are those that were saying he was John the Baptist. There were those that were saying he's Elijah the prophet. There were others that were saying, well, he's another prophet. But he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Listen to the answer. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, this is Simon Peter. I love this response. Simon Peter answered and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He declares him deity. He declares him to be Messiah. He declares him to be God. Now look at verse 8 again. Notice the scepter of righteousness. This scepter of righteousness belongs to Jesus. The scepter, which was a staff or an instrument of various forms, was a sign of government. Now, here, it is used for government. The ancient Jews, the Jewish writers, understood this also to be the scepter, listen, of the future Messiah. Now, they were waiting for Messiah then. Messiah came. The Jews basically in a whole are still waiting for Messiah. And the Messiah that they're going to receive, he is called Antichrist, a type of Antiochus Epiphanes. It's a sad commentary now. Jesus is God. Now, take down this verse. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, Moses pins this. These are the last words of Jacob. Before his death. Prophecy. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The tribe of Judah. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Listen. Until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Until Shiloh comes. Now the word Shiloh was a word used in the Old Testament. It's an ancient Hebrew word, and it meant Messiah. Until the Messiah comes. 
Now, there are those that don't believe that Jesus is God. There are those that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I want you to put your thinking caps on. During the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ here on earth, he will rule all the people, listen, as the King of kings, Lord of lords. Then Satan will be placed uh, in a holding tank for 1,000 years. Now, there's a purpose there. Because I struggle with that. Okay, leave him in there. But then after the 1,000-year reign, he's released. The Bible says he's released for a season. You can read that in Revelation chapter 20. Now, during the 1,000-year reign of Christ or the millennial reign, there are going to be those that are born during this time, but they don't know Christ. Now, Jesus is there. He sets up his kingdom age on the earth. As God it says that he's the Lord of lords, he's the king of kings, and they come to worship him. But there's going to be those that will not get saved. And so Satan is loose for a season, and the demonic realm is loose for a season, and then he gathers an army to come against God. Now, I struggle with that. You've seen the Messiah for the last 1,000-year reign, and then he's let loose for a season. You see... We are free moral agents. God gives us choice. And then the final judgment. And then Lucifer, Satan, that is. The demonic realm, the false prophet, the antichrist, they're all going to be thrown in to the lake of fire forever and ever. Interesting. But he says, your throne, O God, declaring Jesus deity declaring Jesus that he is God. Now let's go to verse 9. You have loved righteousness. This is a direct quote from Psalm 45, verse 7. You have loved righteousness and you've hated lawlessness or sin. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now here, the writer, which I believe is Paul the Apostle, is speaking of the character of Jesus Christ, the character of our Messiah. And the word loved is agape. So Jesus agape righteousness because he was and still is righteousness. He was always right living with God. That's the word righteousness. And now through Jesus Christ, we have this righteousness. You and I are not righteous. You and I cannot attain righteousness but only through Christ. As I come to saving grace, as you come to saving grace, he bestows upon us righteousness. And now he calls us uh, to right living with God. And notice now, not only are we called to righteousness, then he says that the son detested sin, we as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we must also detest sin. Now, the word sin also speaks of wickedness. The word sin, wickedness, also speaks of unrighteousness. We're to detest this. I don't know about you, but we all sin daily. But as the Holy Spirit's working in my life, working in your life, when I sin, I know it. The Holy Spirit is like knocking on my heart, said, Bob, that was wrong. And the closer you draw to God, and the more you serve God, the more the Holy Spirit's going to be there to convict you. 
I've actually gone to the movie house, my wife and I, and then all of a sudden, you know, I was told the movie was good, and, all the, and then all of a sudden some things start happening in the movie house. I can't stay. And I go, wait a minute, you paid eight bucks, you got to stay. And there's a decision, there's that battle. You ever seen the cartoon? You have a good angel, you have a bad angel. They say, no, 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 yes, yes, yes. Well, the Holy Spirit says no. And you feel so much better when you obey the voice of God. God's called us to righteousness. God's called us uh, to holiness. Now, here in, in verse 9, our God, listen, has anointed us with the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, the oil of joy. I believe here is the oil of salvation more on you, the church, than anyone else. Now, we know that Jesus is the anointed Mashiach, the Messiah, but this anointing, when we come to saving grace, the joy of his salvation, we come to that place of anointing. You know, I was trying to describe this anointing, and the best I could do, on your own, study Psalm 133. We know that Aaron was to be anointed the high priest, and they took a flask of oil. Now, a flask of oil is a, a ram's horn. Now, depending on the size of the ram, either it's a, a pint of oil or it's a quart of oil. And so when we, uh, you know, place oil on somebody to pray for here, the Bible says to anoint the sick, to lay hands on the sick. You know, Pastor Jeff will make a smudge mark. Usually we put a cross on your forehead. But imagine a flask of oil. Go back and read that. The Bible says that he was anointed from the top of his head down through his beard, and it saturated his clothing down to his feet. It just shows us the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that it's complete, that it completely saturates you. Not even the angels have this privilege of salvation. They don't understand salvation. Now, they have a choice. Lucifer had a choice. He chose to come against God. He wanted to take over God's domain, and God said no, and he was kicked out of heaven. There's a beautiful passage that I learned years ago. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus says this, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. They rejoice. But in all reality, they really don't know why they're rejoicing. Because angels rejoice, yet they do not understand salvation. Oh, they're getting saved down there at Calvary Chapel. Well, we're supposed to cheer for them. Hey, way to go. But they really don't understand it. I remember when the day we got saved, our pastor from the pulpit said, there was about 25 of us that came up, and we came to saving grace. The angels in heaven are having a party right now. I go, well, that's good. But I didn't understand. They're having a party for our salvation, but they don't understand the salvation. Notice verse 10 as we continue. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Now, the writer, which I believe is Paul, takes it back to creation. God the Father again gives Jesus his deity. He calls Jesus Lord which is master or supreme authority, in the beginning, takes us back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Jesus, you, he says here, laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens. 
which is the abode of God. All this is the work of your hands. Creation was given by Jesus. The Father gave all to Jesus. Beautiful picture. Again, don't just look at Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes there in the first advent. Baby Jesus. Well, he put on flesh. He became one of us. But he was already back in Genesis 1.1. In fact, go off the page. Jesus was already there. Beautiful picture when we see this now. (laughs) Here in verse 10, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth. A direct quote from Psalm 102, verse 25. Now notice verse 11. They will perish. Now he goes back to creation. They will perish, but you remain. A direct quote from Psalm 102, verse 26. He says, they will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like garment. Look at verse 12. It goes together. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Now, what is he talking about here? He goes back to creation. And so in verse 11... The writer is take, talking about God's creation. It will perish. It will fade away. It will be discarded like a piece of old garment. Jesus will remain forever and ever. Now look at verse 12. Like a cloak. It speaks of a, a vesture, a mantle, a covering. The garment again will fold up or fold away. The creation will change. It's all going to burn when you think about it. It's all going to vanish away. But Jesus will never change. Your years, Jesus, will not fail. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now it's interesting. Here in verses 11 and 12, he's declaring that this earth, This beautiful creation that God created. I mean, it's going to vanish. And basically, the scientists are telling us that, you know, uh, the sun is getting less and less. And I know we're supposed to take care of our environment, and rightfully so. But this earth is limited. Its time is limited. According to Revelation chapter 21, there is a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem that's coming. Interesting. Now, to clarify verses 11 and 12, I want you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Beautiful prophetic word here. And church, right now, we can see the possibilities. With everybody uh, that has nuclear capabilities. I mean, the guy in Iran, he's a nut. He's not afraid to push that button. We got another nut in Korea. He's not afraid to push that button. The people in Al-Qaeda, they're willing to push the button at any time. Could it be that we're going to annihilate ourselves when one guy starts pushing a button, another guy starts pushing a button, and before you know it, annihilation. Now, Peter kind of speaks about this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, it is called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord speaks of Jesus His visible time here on this earth. Now, let me read it to you. Pick up on this. 
In verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will burn up. Will burn up. Verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Church, if we see these things deteriorating around us, we read about mass murders in New York, 14 people. We read about police officers being shot right there as they come to investigate a domestic violence, three of them. And this is ongoing. We're seeing it and hearing it more and more. In fact, after a while, I just turn the TV off. But if we know these things, how much more should we be praying? I mean, we have our four girls. They're all growing up. We have three grandchildren. My concern for my children, my concern for our grandchildren. And my oldest daughter with our twin grandchildren, they're in Southern California. And I told them, move back. I go, one of these days, the ocean's going to vanish. One of these days, you're going to melt down. One of these days, that earthquake's going to come. At least come to New Mexico, you have a chance. But we have to trust God. We have to trust God. In verse 11 again, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct? Man, we need to live as much as possible a godly life. We need to live as much as possible righteousness. And I can't do it without God. You can't do it without God. Now, look at verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now, again, I'm not prophesying, and I'm not being dogmatic, but could it be nuclear holocaust? It makes a lot of sense. Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heaven, the new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Again, we're to care for our earth as much as possible. But in all reality, it's all going to burn up. And we put such an emphasis on on, uh, the creation, but what about the creator? We're to worship him. Now, listen to this verse. In Mark chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word by no means will pass away. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. Now again, here in verse 11, Psalm 102, verse 26, and verse 12, Psalm 102, verse 27. These are direct quotes, church. Direct quotes. Now, obviously, the world is changing. Those of you that have been on this earth long enough, I mean, I grew up in the 50s. And I tell you, as Bob Dylan said, the times are changing. I mean, things are changing rapidly, more so than we can imagine. Back when I was a boy, we grew up in in the L.A. basin. I think we had about six or seven or maybe eight stations. And they were all black and white. And I mean, if you stayed up too long, the Indian would come out, remember? Boo! 
Time to go to sleep. <laughs> you have TV round the clock today. In fact, I'm told you can have hundreds, if not up in the thousands, if you have all the cable. You imagine the size thumb you're going to have when you're sitting there with that clicker, driving you nuts. But look at the changes around us, church. Cell phones. Oh, my gosh. The other day we were cleaning out, and Mary finds this cell phone. She goes, look at this. Remember those old ones, the first ones? It was a brick. I go, where'd you get that? Ancient, right? Those of you, don't raise your hand. We used to have a party line in California. I know, because I liked it. We would get on there. We'd listen to all the cheese men, you know. Party line. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, man. Movies. We used to go see two movies on Saturday. 50 cents. 50 cents. We had leftover for popcorn and, and soda. Today, what is it? I think it's eight bucks here. Go to California, it's all closer to 10. I said, forget it. But look at the changes. Computer. Now, about 15 years ago, we were at a pastor's conference. Pastor Chuck, a lot older than us, he comes out and he says, fellas, you need to learn how to use computers. I was deathly afraid. But I tell you, it has revolutionized how we can put our studies together. I mean, the computer's good. And I remember when I first started, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I remember having my message all done one night, 1230, Saturday night, and I pushed the button. It's gone. I was panicking. Because before I have it all written down, I call Richard that lives about two blocks from me. I says, I lost everything. Bob, calm down. No, you don't understand. I lost everything. And I got to teach in the morning. I'll be right there. It's in there. He works up here for White Sands. He says, it's in there. I go, no, it's not. It's gone. It's a blank screen. I don't know what he did. He pushed this and pushed that, and here it comes up. I go, I thank the Lord for you, man. But computers can be an asset. But look at the changes, church. But here's the key I want you to see. God and his word does not change. Man changes. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have those in the church today. Well, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah was in that Old Testament time, but not today. You know, God has an understanding. Obviously, there's going to be men that are going to marry men. And women that are going to be marrying women. That's not what my scripture says. It's not what my scripture says. Well, you know, fornication and adultery. Well, sometimes you just have, you know, those things happen. And it's my body anyway. I can choose what to do. No, the Bible says it's sin. Well, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. I'm, I'm just, you know, chemically unbalanced. You see, we don't want to call it sin. Oh, don't you dare call it sin. I have a sickness. I have a disease. No, you have sin. And man doesn't see it. So, again, man changes. Times change. We're in the 21st century. But God does not change. His word does not change. Even though man tries to. Now, we're going to come to the conclusion. Look at verse 13. And, again, this is a direct quote. Psalm 110, verse 1. But to which of the angels has he ever said? Now listen. 
Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Beautiful scripture. Here is the position God the Father made for his son, Jesus Christ. He, Jesus Christ, sits at the right hand of majesty. He sits there now. Jesus is waiting for the time of judgment when the Father will make Jesus' enemies his footstools. Listen. All that refuse Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior will stand at Jesus' feet for judgment. Now, the choice is ours. You see, God places in us a free will. We're free moral agents. We can choose. You come to a stop sign, and you have a fork, and you can go right or left. It's your choice. Now, the sign might say, you know, turn right. This is, you know, right takes you to El Paso. I don't want to go right, but I do want to go to El Paso. And so, a stubborn heart. And I turn left. Guys, you know when your wife tells you to turn there and you don't do it? That's a stubborn heart. That's a prideful. I know where I'm going. Stop at the gas station. Why? I know where I'm going. 35 miles later. Ah, I'm not the only one, huh? Now, if we don't know Jesus, if we don't accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're going to stand on judgment day. Mark this verse down in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, there we have the beautiful story of the separation of the goats and the sheep. And the writer is declaring this. Jesus speaks about the separation. And bottom line, I remember hearing this years ago. Either you're a goat or you're a sheep. You can't be one and then, well, I'm a goat today, I'm a sheep tomorrow. No, you're one or the other. Now, obviously, the sheep belong to God, and the goats belong to Satan. Now, again, this Psalm 110, verse 1, uh, go home and read it. And, and it goes up to seven verses. And Jesus brings this back in Matthew chapter 22, verse 44. Peter quotes Psalm 110 in Acts chapter 2, verses 34 to 35, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God in his first sermon. So this is a precious psalm. And here the writer, I believe, is Paul the Apostle, is bringing it forth. Again, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. But again in verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said this to? To none of the angels. But that right has been given to the Son of God, the Savior of the world. That right has been given to the Mashiach, which is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, we get back to that place as we conclude now. In verse 14, angels are ministering spirits. They're here, number one, to minister to God. And then secondly, they're here for us, the church, the body of Christ. Not one guardian angel. But praise the Lord that he gives us as many as we need. And I'll tell you, I used to wonder, and I say, Lord, bring them on. Whoever doesn't want their angels, bring them over here. I need them. They protect church. Look at verse 14. Are they not all, now we're speaking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? That's you. The body of Christ, the church. Paul the writer takes us back to the beginning of the teaching, the topic of angels. Are they not all ministering spirits? 
Angels are servants of the Lord. God sends them out to minister, to serve those who inherit salvation. Here is where we shared last week how God has angels who care for us, who care for the church, the body of Christ. I told this story way back when. Maybe some of you were here. But back at Calvary Chapel in West Covina, uh, the church that I originally came out of, uh, there was a, a woman's fellowship, little Bible study that the women were having. And they would get together during the day, usually in the morning, about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and they'd bring their kids over. And so there was about six ladies, each one having a kid. The kids would go outside and they would play. And they would have their tea and their coffee, a little Bible study. And they're always peeking out. Moms, you know how that is, look, looking, making sure the kids are. There was a swing set. There was a good-sized swing set. And one of the boys, rambunctious as boys are, he wasn't old enough, but he climbed it. And he gets up there. And he gets up to the top, and he's straddling it. And he calls out, Mom, look at me. And she just freaks out. She runs out there, and in the corner of her eye, she sees him falling. And when she gets out there, uh, the two, three seconds that it took, she just imagined everything. A busted head, broken collarbone, broken limbs, the, the worst. And when she got there, the little boy's dusting himself off. Hi, Mom. I saw you fall. An angel caught me. The boy says, an angel caught me. The mom goes, you're right. Thank you, Jesus. They're ministering angels. Ministering angels. Years ago, there was four of us going to Tehachapi State Prison. I was in my vehicle. And we're talking, we're jabbering. And I started to pick up speed. Didn't have cruise control in those days. Had a lead foot, right? And then my friend in the back, Larry, he goes, Bob. You're going a little bit fast. I go, oh, I'm sorry, in the back off. But then again, no cruise control. He goes, oops, there goes one. I said, what? And then we're going again. The speed picks up. And he goes, oops, you dropped another one. And I go, Larry, what are you talking about? Well, you keep going too fast. It's passing the speed limit. And angels are falling off of your tires. And you only got four of them. And I go, oh, I backed off. <laughs> I need all those angels. I know, I know what he was trying to say to me, but they're ministering angels. Listen, the topic of angels. Now, Jesus is superior to them. He's not Michael the archangel. He's not Lucifer's brother. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. One of my commentaries said this. Ministering spirits, the writer Paul, is summing up the function of angels as compared to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the highest in dignity because he is deity. He is equality with God the Father because he is God. Angels are servants appointed for service to God and for the sake of, of airship, of redemption. In other words, they minister to God's people, those that have air, because we've come to saving grace. Number one, the angels are to worship God, to serve God. And then secondly, they minister to us. Now, I want you to go home this evening, study Isaiah chapter 6. There in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is going to be anointed uh, a prophet. 
But as the angels were there, the seraphims were there, and they were worshiping God. Isaiah sees them high and lifted up. And the train of the Lord filled the temple. He's seen all this in a vision. Isaiah's going to be anointed. The, the, the seraphims cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. It's just a beautiful passage. And then Isaiah recognizes himself. I am a man of unclean lips. And one of the seraphims goes and gets the hot coal, places it on his lips. And God cleansed him. Again, the angels were, uh, you know, worshiping the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But then Isaiah needed to be ministered to. And so angels are ministering spirits. Now, last week, we shared that in the Old Testament, we listened to the prophets. But in these last days, so for 4,000 years, the prophets spoke. And for the last 2,000 years, hear he him. Hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus is our teacher. Now, before the prophets came into the picture, angels were ministering. Real quick, in Genesis 16, an angel told Hagar at a spring in the wilderness, go back to Sarah. There's a ministering angel. In Genesis 19, two angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah to warn Lot to get out ministering angels in genesis chapter 22 an angel stopped abraham from sacrificing his son isaac ministering angels god saw abraham's heart that he loved the lord and then lastly in genesis 32 an angel wrestled with jacob all night then he touched the hollow of his thigh or he touched the socket of his hip and for the rest of his life jacob walked with a, a limp and every time, you know, in those days, all, the only way to get around was to walk. Imagine every time the hollow of his thigh bothered him, he knew that day that he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Now, some say that's a theophany of Christ. It could be. But he wrestled with an angel of the Lord, the scripture says, all night. Now, angels are there for the purpose to minister. As we conclude, but Jesus has superiority over the angels but maybe God has dispensed angels to us and maybe we still haven't come to saving grace I don't know maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning I'm going to ask you this morning don't leave here without Christ I'm not here to judge you I'm here to ask you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I'm not here to ask you to join our church I'm not here to ask you to receive Christ because of Pastor Bob. The Holy Spirit has to speak to you. And so this morning, as the Holy Spirit has ministered to us, Jesus is superior. He's superior to the prophets. Jesus is superior uh, to the angels. Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world. God the Father calls His Son God. I must go through the cross. And so this morning, I want you to stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. And as I begin to pray, I'm going to ask the Lord. And I'm going to ask you. Maybe you haven't made that commitment. Don't leave here without Christ. Again, you're not here to serve Calvary Chapel or Pastor Bob. But if you don't know Jesus, what an opportunity. It's a simple prayer. 
Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak directly to us, Lord. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just get a hold of our hearts. Lord, maybe there's somebody here. Maybe there's a couple that are here. Maybe there's more than just two. I don't know. Maybe we have never received Christ. Or maybe we received Christ so long ago, but we're so backslidden, we have to do it again. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't want anybody looking around, but if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I just want to say a simple prayer. And if you're not sure, I just want to say a simple prayer. If that's you this morning, raise your hand and I'll pray for you. I see your hand way in the back. I see your hand way in the back. Anybody else? would like to ask Jesus to come into their heart this morning and to cleanse all of my sins. I see your hand right here in the middle. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand over here on the right. Anybody else? I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Several hands have gone. I see your hand right there in the middle in the back. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? I see your hand, sir. Thank you. Praise the Lord. You're not here to please me. You're here to please God. I'm just the messenger. Praise the Lord. Anybody else before we close? And all of you that raised your hand, I want to say a simple prayer. And it's so simple. Just ask the Lord to forgive you. Father, right now, several hands went up. And we thank you, Lord. We give you praise and honor and glory. Lord, right now, the angels are rejoicing, even though they don't understand salvation. But, Lord, those that raise their hand, Lord, they acknowledge they are sinners. They acknowledge that they need a Savior. They acknowledge that it's not church that they need, but it's Christ. They acknowledge it's not religion that they need, but a relationship with their son, with God's son, that is, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Lord, I ask you to forgive them of all their sins, past, present, and future. And Lord, I ask you to come into their life now, Lord. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you want a tabernacle within us. Lord, I ask you, Father, to receive these that have raised their hand. Lord, you saved them because you died for them, because you shed your precious blood for them. And, Lord, we welcome them into the family of God. And we give you praise and honor and glory. And now, Lord, we ask you to give them a hunger for righteousness. We ask you to give them a hunger and a thirst for your word. We ask you, Lord, to baptize them in the power of your Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit leads them and guides them into all truth, Lord, receive them now in your name. Father, we pray for the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion to you, Lord. And so, Father, bless the offerings now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.